podcast that explores the logic behind physiological birth practices and is a production of the Indie Birth Association and IndieBirth.com. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Well Actually, a podcast by me, Margo Blackstone, in conjunction with the work I do through IndieBirth. So this week we have a special guest, my friend Ruth Goldberg, and she's going to be talking to us today about the placenta and sort of what we can do with it and what that's all about. Um, And she has a fabulous book she's been working on, and I'm going to let her tell you about that. And I'm just so happy that she's with us this week, and I'll let her say hello. Hello, everybody. Um, so, Ruth, I I wasn't sure if you had a, a bio that you wanted me to read, but maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive in here. Oh, certainly. So, my name is Ruth Goldberg. I'm a certified nurse midwife, and I live and work in Flagstaff, Arizona. I was born and raised in Southern California in the San Diego area. Um, I uh, became a nurse in my early 20s. Uh, right out of high school, I joined the Marine Corps, and so I was a Marine for a few years, and that was a wonderful experience. But uh, nursing and uh, birth has always been my passion since childhood. I've always wanted to become a midwife. I chose to become a nurse first and work in labor and delivery for a number of years, and uh, had three children of my own. And I've attended birth both in the hospital and in a freestanding birth center uh, and outside the hospital, outside the institutions. Um, I became a midwife, a certified nurse midwife in uh, 2008. I graduated from Frontier, and I'm very proud of that as well. And I am very happy to be here today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and could you tell us a little bit about... Um the book and how you came to write this book that we're going to be talking a lot about today and how you got interested in these ideas of repurposing the placenta. Okay, the name of my book is Repurpose Your Placenta, Seven Amazing Gifts from Your Baby's Afterbirth. And the website is repurposeyourplacenta.com. Um, I got interested in this uh, when I was working in San Diego in a freestanding birth center, and a good friend of mine who is a a placental specialist and a childbirth educator, her name is Care Messer, and she's an extraordinary woman. Uh, She does placental encapsulation, and she was discussing it with me and encouraging me to start doing it. So I uh, looked into it, and I took the training she recommended. I uh, got trained in placental encapsulation by uh, Amanda Johnson, who is the founder of, um, excuse me, <clears throat> International Placenta and Postpartum Association. And she teaches uh, placental encapsulation worldwide and other postpartum um, trainings. And just so I'm give fair airtime to everybody. There's two other places you can learn placental encapsulation if you're interested in that. One is through uh, Placenta Benefits Incorporated, and the woman who's the founder there is Jody Jody Selender, and she's in Nevada. 
and that would be her website also Placenta Benefits. And there's a third organization, the Association of Placenta Preparation Arts. That's a collection of women who uh, also have a, an online course um, for placenta preparation. All of them I, are excellent. I just happened to choose to do uh, Amanda's course because that's what was recommended to me initially. Um, so once I <coughs> completed her course and I set out to start doing placental encapsulation, um, I realized I would not be allowed to do it. I was working for a clinic there in San Diego as a midwife and whenever any practitioner signs up to work for a, a, a clinic or private practice, one of the things you have to agree to is to um, not use the clinic to make money for yourself, so to speak. Not use the clinic as a platform to promote your own business. Okay. And of course, I didn't do that. I, I never, uh, I didn't advertise there in the clinic. But I also realized that if someone were to come to me for placental encapsulations outside the clinic, and if they were a clinic, uh, a client of the clinic, that could get messy. And I didn't want to set up myself or the clinic for anything like that. So uh, once I came to that realization and got my head around that idea. I still wanted women to know about placenta encapsulation. I wanted them to know that the placenta is valuable even after the birth. And so I decided I'd write a pamphlet and then it grew into uh, <laughs> an article. And then when, and as I did more research, I realized there's a whole lot more the placenta can provide in addition to placenta encapsulation. So it became a book, which is something I've wanted to do my whole life is write a book. So that's how it, that's how it happened. <clears throat> That's awesome, and it's an excellent book, and I was so, so excited uh, to get a chance to read it. Um, it was very gracious of you to let me take a look at it, and I'm really excited to be able to recommend it to people that we work with and, um, you know, people that come to the Indie Birth site and people who are listening to this podcast. It's um, an awesome resource, and I'm so glad that you that you wrote it. Well, thank you, and I'm I'm happy that you read it and excited to get it out there. The launch is in April in Toronto. But. Okay, perfect. Yes. Pretty soon, just around the corner. Yes, I'm very excited. Yeah, I bet you are. Um, so we're going to put all of those uh, links that you mentioned, um, or all of them that I've at least caught at the moment, you can send me them later too if you have others that you want to include. Um, we'll put those up um, on the page, on the Indie Birth page that has the podcast episode so okay. that people can, can check that out. And of course, your website and the link to, to get your book too. Oh, thank you. And um, I've got links to the websites and the information I use to write the book on the website, uh, Repurpose Your Placenta also. Perfect. So, all right. So I wanted to talk a little bit. Um, I just love so much in your book that you covered cord care because I feel like that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot in in the placenta discussion. Um, you know, it's usually dominated by like, oh, do you eat the placenta? What's that about? What are the benefits? And we'll talk about that too, of course. Um, but I thought it was so great that you also, you know, gave um, some some airtime, if you will, to uh, cord care and the options we have with with the umbilical cords and stuff. Also, such a secret and um, amazing part of of the birth process. So maybe we could start there, and um, you could talk a little bit about the different options we have um, when we are talking about the umbilical cord. Okay. Uh, well, I decided to 
make the chapters of the book follow the natural progression of birth, and once the baby is born, the first part of, before we see the placenta, we see the course. Uh, so the baby is born, here's this lovely juicy cord still pulsing, once the baby's out and breathing. Uh, what's traditional here in the Western world is to clamp and cut. And we now, uh, we've looked known as midwives, we often knew intuitively that maybe we shouldn't clamp and cut so hastily, maybe we should wait a bit. Uh, what's the hurry? <laughs> um, and this is where the marriage of, a place where the marriage of the sacred and the science comes in because something we knew intuitively for quite some time now has some science to back it up. Um, in my research I found out that the argument of when to cut the cord has been going on since babies have been born. Um, Aristotle argued for delayed cord clamping. Uh, the father, uh, not found that he was an hypocrisy, pardon me, uh, but it, yet that far back in ancient Greece. Um, Erasmus, yes, Erasmus Darwin, who's the grandfather of Charles Darwin, um, argued for delayed cord clamping. Uh, James Whitridge Williams, the author of Williams Obstetrics, mm -hmm. which is an OB book that just about every physician and uh, midwife knows about or reads, uh, he practiced delayed cord clamping, and he uh, mentions that in his the first um, few uh, editions of his book. Uh, so this has been going on for a long time. Now we finally have evidence uh, that delayed cord clamping is beneficial to the baby, especially premature babies. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, when the baby is gestating inside, his physiology is different than once he's outside. He's not breathing the air through his lungs. His um, the placenta is sort of the link, not sort of. It is the link between mom and baby, and it's part of the physiology that helps the baby to survive in utero. One of the ways that the baby is able to survive inside with much less oxygen than we use on the outside is they have a whole lot more red blood cells than they need once they're on the outside. Those extra red blood cells die off and as they die off that's what gives the baby the um, physiologic jaundice they often experience a couple days after birth. So about, uh, depending on what you read, about 50% of the baby's blood supply or 100 milliliters of the baby's blood supply is in the placenta and the cord. And uh, so th it, there's no, um, nobody knows how much of that blood that's in the placenta and the cord the baby actually needs to be healthy. There's also stem cells in the cord that benefit the baby. There's, uh, with the extra red blood cells, there's extra iron. We can avoid anemia, and that's one of the um, big benefits of delayed cord clamping for uh, premature babies by uh, waiting at least 30 seconds, and somebody had to put a number on it. So by waiting at least 30 seconds after the birth before you clamp the cord, uh, the baby will, the, especially a premature baby, will get um, some extra red blood cells which will prevent or at least reduce the uh, anemia that a lot of premature babies experience. There's also a condition preemies experience um, in which they have uh, 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 spontaneous bleeds in the brain, and that is reduced when um, we allow the cord to pulse for a while after the baby's born. The risk of that is reduced. So now we have science to back up this practice that we've always been so uh, um, supportive of. Uh, now, they say on term babies, it doesn't matter so much. I don't know. I still practice the, I, I still wait a good 30 seconds or more, or until I see the cord 
go flaccid ideally before I cut the cut the cord. <laughs> and to my knowledge, I haven't had anyone tell me that the my ba the the babies that um, I whose births I attend are more jaundiced than anyone else. <laughs> I have noticed, I'm sure you have too, that uh, when babies are born at or at term or past the estimated due date, they're they're done with the cord pretty quickly. They're ready. <laughs> mm -hmm. Whereas babies that are born a little sooner take a little longer. And mm -hmm. since he's making this huge physiologic shift from inside to outside, I think it's a good idea to give the baby that extra support. His his bloodstream is literally uh, changing direction. Um, he's his first time his lungs have filled with air. His entirely new sensations and from what he was experiencing on the inside. It's um, it's a I imagine a pretty overwhelming experience to be born. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so when it gives the baby a little extra a little extra time, let him catch his breath, so to speak. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that's. I love I love that part of your book. I love the awesome like history that you included. Um, it was super interesting and fun to read. Um, and then you talked about something that I don't have a lot of experience with um, that I think is really exciting. If you want to talk about it, um, you know the idea of cord burning and then also mm -hmm. lotus births. Uh, yes, of course. So once the baby's born, and then the you. Uh, the placenta, of course, at some point comes out. We have the question of when and how or if we cut the cord. Uh, it's common in the you know, hospitals and, and other uh, practice uh, places to clamp it in two places, cut in between, so and um, then the stump, of course, dries and falls off after a time. Uh, there's another practice of uh, cord burning which came about in, uh, I understand, through uh, disaster areas like uh, Katrina and the uh, typhoon in the Philippines and stuff where midwives are delivering babies there, but they don't have, or other places where there's limited resources, where they don't have access to sterile equipment. And in some of those um, limited resource areas, if a, a baby is born and the cord is cut with using something that's not sterile, that sets the baby up for uh, neonatal tetanus. Now, we don't see that in this country because we have so much sterile equipment available, or rather we ne almost never see it. Um, so the practice of cord burning came about. They would use a flame, a candle, or a lighter or something to burn the cord once the baby was born. And, of course, if I'm, I'm I haven't seen this. I haven't experienced it. I've seen a few YouTube videos. But it seems to be, have become a, a common practice or a desired practice. Uh, for some people, it's, it can you can make it very ceremonial. It can be very beautiful. In fact, there's a website about cord burning. I don't remember the name of it, but I'm sure you can Google it. <laughs> um, if you're going to burn the cord, please keep safety in mind, first, last, and always. We have to be sure we protect the baby from the flame, so the remaining cord that's still attached to the baby is going to be longer than usual, a good six inches or more. Um, it takes a while for the flame to burn through the cord. And uh, during that time, a lot of uh, it's, it's suggested, or some people choose to have a little ceremony. You know, thank the baby and um, you know, show your gratitude for this baby being brought to you and having such a healthy, lovely birth. Um, the cord stump uh, in burning it, the cord stump is cauterized, so that in that way um, it prevents infection. And um, there's also the the um, 
Chinese medicine view that the qi, the baby's qi, is projected back into the baby uh, through burning of the cord, which would be a health benefit for him. Um, cool. Yeah, I think it's very cool. Um, there's also a practice called lotus birth. I have never seen a lotus birth, and I don't know anyone personally who's done it, but um, you can find out on, um, you can see about it on uh, all over the internet. Uh, Robin Lim, who is, uh, you know, Ibu Lim, who was the CNN's Hero of the Year a few years ago and has her birth center there in um, Indonesia. She uh, has a number of uh, clients who practice it. There is a woman named Shiva Rashana who has an entire book on lotus birth. Uh, Dr. Sarah Buckley herself has practiced lotus birth. And Lotus Birth, I have discovered, uh, is not just uh, a, a, a practice. It's not just a cool thing some people want to do. It is an entire paradigm. Uh, in a Lotus Birth, with a Lotus Birth, the baby is born. The cord is not severed. The placenta is then born. And the baby and the placenta, or rather the placenta, is maintained along with the baby until the baby releases it in his own time, which is about the same time that a uh, severed cord stump would be released in you know, a few days to a week. Uh, now this sounds kind of shocking to some people. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the the first thing uh, uh, people think about, I've, and I've discussed this with other people who've also never seen it, and the first thing that they think of is, oh my God, they're dragging around this nasty old placenta with this beautiful baby. <laughs> that, isn't, that, isn't that dangerous? Isn't that gross? Why would you want to do that? Um, there's also a, uh, the earlier writings on lotus birth uh, from a uh, popular, um, very popular midwife. Oh my goodness, her name is just escaped my brain. You know who it is. Um, Do I? Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's she died some time ago. Long gray hair. Oh. Janine Parvati Baker? Yes, Janine Parvati Baker, yes. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> okay, we can spice some of that out. Janine <laughs> no, um, Parvati Baker also, also practiced lotus birth and uh, wrote about that. Um, so how how is this done? Uh, one, why would they want to do it? Well, why would they want to do this? Two uh, powerful benefits to uh, lotus birth. One is for the mother. If uh, the mother is, of course, going to stay close to the baby during the postpartum period and for breastfeeding and bonding and rest. And if there is a placenta still attached to the baby, it's going to be a little more cumbersome to pick up the baby and go somewhere. You're not going to just plop the baby into his car seat and go off to the grocery store or doctor's appointments. You're uh, likely to have limited visitors because there are some people who don't want to be in the same room with a placenta. Um, and this all this would benefit the mom. There is. Uh, she gets to stay closer to the baby for longer periods of time. She stays in bed and rests. Limiting visits also limits the um, uh, keeps the energy uh, in the household and uh, allows more sacred space to incorporate the, this new life that has come to you and to be fully conscious and aware of what has what you've just experienced and what has just happened. This is a birth of a, a baby, a new life, a new member to your family. Uh, so it's very consciousness. Uh, it's very consciousness based, very awareness based, and that benefits not just mom, but the entire family. Everything slows down and can be a very sacred time. The benefits to the baby is that in the paradigm of lotus birth, the placenta and the blood it contains is entirely the property of the baby. 
Uh, and with that, the parents are the stewards or the custodians of that placenta. And it is their responsibility, if not their duty, to uh, make sure that the baby gets to keep his placenta as long as he needs it. Um, the baby is growing inside the womb with his placenta. It's his spiritual partner. It's, his, it's an appendage. It's pulsing. It's alive. It's not just a uh, lying. The cord is not just lying in the womb like a limp garden hose. There's two arteries. So, uh, And you can hear the placenta, the blood rushing through the placenta. I'm sure if you've listened to uh, a pregnant woman's abdomen, you've heard the placenta as well. Mm-hmm. So in the uh, lotus birth paradigm, to sever the cord before the baby's ready is to commit an act of violent um, uh, amputation. And there is some work uh, by a man named um, Lloyd DeMas who uh, gets into the psychology of this and how uh, he feels that this might lead to how we, um, how some cultures or uh, conduct war and how, how and why uh, we, uh, in, our, in some cultures, we just um, want to take what we want without consideration for the uh, fallout into the community and to, the, to nature in general. So it's, um, it's, it's more in-depth than I can get into here. But it's, it's, uh, the, the, Shiva Mershana has the book Lotus Birth, you know, and, um, it's called uh, The Practice of Non-Severance. And of course there's a website for that too. And, uh, uh, Dr. Sarah Buckley practiced Lotus Birth with her, a couple of her babies, and she has written up a nice protocol for how to do it. Uh, so what do we do with the placenta? What do you do with the placenta? It's not, you're not just dragging around this nasty old placenta, no. The placenta <laughs> is washed off after it's rinsed and it's placed in like a bag or a colander or basket. Um, Robin Lynn discusses using salt, lots of salt, to uh, encourage the tissue to dry out and um, herbs so that you can um, avoid any unpleasant odors. Um, uh, Shiva Mashana says that there are no unpleasant odors and not everyone uses salt, they use other substances sometimes. Um, and uh, once the baby releases the cord, of course, you can celebrate that moment too. And after the uh, the cord is released, then um, so you can consider burying the placenta, which is another chapter in the book. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Such good information. Yes. So like you said, your book sort of chronicles the natural flow as far as... Um, you know, the the birth goes. Of course, you're not talking about too much before birth. I, well, I guess you are actually in the book. You you do talk about the, the anatomy and physiology a little bit and, um, mm-hmm. you know, how it works while baby's inside, which is really awesome and cool, and I'm excited to encourage parents to read more about that. Um, and then you have what we just talked about, what do we do with the cord once the baby's out? Um, and, you know, with lotus birth, we're talking also about what are we doing to placenta once? Once the baby's out, so like you said, um, you know, letting letting the cord fall away on its own, letting the baby release the cord, and then you have this placenta, and what do you do with it? So I guess that's a good segue. You know, your book was so nicely has such a nice flow to it that it's made our discussion today so easy. Um, <laughs> so that sort of segues into you know the bulk of I think what people talk about when we're talking about um, placenta options. And so, um, you know, I don't want you to give away everything, of course, and you couldn't because your <laughs> book is so awesome and detailed, but if you could give us 
just um, you know a basic rundown of the options that women have with what what they can do with their placenta after their baby okay. is born. Certainly, my pleasure. Uh, so once the baby's born and the placenta has uh, been born, also um, there are uh, what can we do with it next? Uh, some ladies do choose to do placental encapsulation or consume it in some way, and I'll discuss that more in a little bit. There's also other fascinating things. Uh, some people, there are people who will take your placenta and prepare it and put it in a, in, in a, a charm or a bracelet or something as a um, as art. Uh, there's those people do that with cremains as well uh, and breast milk. I found out um, mm -hmm. there is the practice of burying the placenta. There's a company in I think it's Australia called Birth to Earth. They will give you a kit for you to uh, bury your placenta with. They have a little like gauze uh, bag. They have a book that you can write things in for the baby. There's a little copper tag you can put on the tree or the bush that you plant along with the placenta so the baby knows that this is his special tree or special bush. And uh, I just found that very, uh, very sweet, a very sweet way to um, to to honor the fact that you've, you've got this placenta and now your baby's always got such a little a uh, little place that he knows is his. Um, now, placental encapsulation. That's become a very common uh, practice, a very common in some circles. Uh, some people, some women, do feel the need to consume the placenta after the birth. Some ladies like to do it immediately after birth uh, in some raw form, and midwives for quite some time have used a chunk of the placenta to help prevent uh, postpartum hemorrhage. It would put that between mom's cheek and gum, I suppose. I've never seen it done. <laughs> I did it after yeah. I had my baby. Yeah, yeah. So how did you do that? You had it uh, like a just a wad in, under your tongue or between your cheek, or yeah, I I had Marin cut off just a little piece of of the placenta and I put it in my cheek. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sure the listeners want to know what it tasted like <laughs> and felt like. <laughs> yeah, it was a. Uh, Hmm, sort of a spongy texture, and mm -hmm. it didn't bother me, but I don't know, you know, I, I'm sort of a strange candidate for such a study since I'm <laughs> around placentas all the time. They don't freak me out, and so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it didn't bother me. It just kind of tasted like a, a, I mean, it didn't it didn't feel like I was putting a raw piece of meat in my mouth or anything. It just sort of made sense in the moment, and I think it did help. <laughs> Seem like the right thing to do. Well, good. Yeah. Um, there's also some uh, ladies who like to put the placenta or part of the placenta in a smoothie and drink it right after the birth for the same reasons. Now, why would they want to do this? Um, immediately after birth, it, it's known to or to prevent postpartum hemorrhage. Um, ladies who who take their encapsulated placenta have claimed that. It supports their breastfeeding. It helps prevent postpartum depression and, and overall uh, increases their energy, helps them to heal faster, helps their uterus to shrink down to its normal size. Um, and now there's no hard science behind this. There's no uh, prospective double-blind studies um, behind this practice. But there is um, some research that has been done and is still ongoing in uh, in Las Vegas with uh, Jody Sander. Uh She worked with a sociologist who did some studying on it, and he himself, in his 
studies feels that this is a fad. He did not um, have faith in the practice, at, but what he did discover was that women who encapsulated the placenta and you know took it after the birth did experience or perceive that they experienced uh, better breastfeeding, better milk production, uh, improved mood, less likelihood of postpartum depression, and less postpartum bleeding, and felt their recovery was faster. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And now we all know, science knows that a lot of animals lead to placenta, you know, rats, dogs, cats. Um, humans and llamas and alpacas and I think sheep are about the only animals known to not routinely eat their placenta. Most animals will eat their placenta. And there's um, a lot of theories about why they do that. Are they trying to protect their uh, themselves and their babies so from predators by eating it? Um, there's been some studies done with rats that if they don't eat the placenta, they don't bond with the baby, they don't breastfeed well. Um, there is a no. Oh, there is one piece of hard science uh, that the uh, researcher discovered is that there's something called placenta opioid enhancing factor. There is something about the placenta, and this was demonstrated in rats as well, that increases our body's own sensitivity to or production of opioids. Our body makes its own painkillers. And something about consuming the placenta increases that. So women who in, consume the placenta, however they do it, whether raw or encapsulated, say they have less postpartum pain, less discomfort, less after pain. And so that's an interesting piece to look at. Very cool. Um, yeah, so that benefits mom and baby and dad. I've uh, known a, a couple of... I've known a lot of people to do uh, placental encapsulation. When I was learning to do placental encapsulation, I was able to do it for free for a few ladies. There was one woman who, whom I did it for. It was her third baby. She had an excellent OB history, never had any trouble breastfeeding, never had any trouble with birth or postpartum, no postpartum depression. She did it on a lark. She thought, sure, yeah, why not? I've heard about it. Let me just see what it's about. So she um, had me, allowed me to encapsulate her placenta. When I saw her, at her uh, six-week postpartum visit. She looked amazing. She said she's never recovered so quickly. Uh, she said she quit. Uh, now, when you when you prepare a placenta for encapsulation, you can. there's a number of ways you can do it depending on what you're trying to achieve. And uh, you can prepare them to support breast milk. You, uh, you can prepare them for recovery or for emotional. There's, depending on how you mix the herbs and whatnot. Um, so I prepared some for her that was to support breastfeeding. She told me she quit taking those pills because her freezer couldn't hold any more milk. <laughs> and so I was, so and for her, it was really profound. And this is a woman who, um, she, she did it on a lark. She didn't do it because she uh, was so, because uh, she believed in it. She did it, she said, let's, let's see, why not? Mm -hmm. That was a was pretty pr profound result. Yeah, and I would like to see more research. I would like to see more research done in on this because if it, if there, uh, can be some uh, some scientific evidence to support it, even if it's supported as a placebo effect. I think that would uh, lend more credence to the practice. There is the uh, there's the fact that uh, preparing the placenta, the steaming or the drying and whatever, could actually destroy any hormones in it. Right. But since there's no no one has done any studies to see what kind of or what condition the hormones are left in after the preparation, you know, we don't know. Right. Things we would love some more science on, huh? Yes, a lot more science. And, and there is something now uh, the government's doing called the Placenta Project. 
They're putting a lot of money into to to, disco to discover more things about the placenta. It's a misunderstood and understudied organ because it's temporary. We and we discard it. We think it doesn't have value, and it does. And that just started a couple of years ago, and I haven't seen the results from that yet. But I am fascinated. I can't wait to see what kind of results they come up with. Awesome. Well, we definitely have a lot of interest from people um, in the indie birth community about, you know, this topic and what they can do with their placenta and all these different options. So I'm really so glad to have you on here and talking about this and um, demystifying it for for us. And um, so glad to have your book as a resource now too. Thank you very so, much. Yeah. So, um, did you do anything exciting with your kids' placentas when you had children? No, I didn't because I didn't know about these things at the time. My youngest child is uh, 25, and uh, although my pregnancies and births were all comparatively easy, I had no trouble postpartum either. Breastfeeding was easy. I recovered well. Um, this was not something that was on my radar. I hadn't heard about it. Um, I was see, with my first child. I wasn't a nurse yet. With my other two, uh, with my second child, I had just graduated nursing school, and my third child, I was working in labor and delivery. But um, this wasn't on the radar. I didn't know about these things. Um, so if I were to have a child today, which is not likely, but if I were to have a child today, uh, <laughs> I would give birth at home with a midwife. I would probably do the lotus style birth in which the placenta is born without severing the cord. I wouldn't do the full lotus birth, though. I would do a cord burning ceremony, and then I would bury the placenta. Awesome. That was my next question. <laughs> so if you were to have a baby today, what would you do? Yeah, that's awesome. what I would do. That's what you're drawn to. Very cool. Um, so another question I have for you, um, you know, I just loved, again, how you incorporated uh, the sacred into your book, too. It wasn't just sort of like a how to do this or why to do this in this certain way. It was, you know, really great how you sort of talked about the meaning and the intention and um, worked in some of the, the ceremony aspects. And so um, I was just curious, do you find in your work with women um, that they have a greater respect for the placenta after you've explained its job and its importance to them? Um, and do you think more women are starting to, to understand that part of it um, as you do your work? Uh, yes. Yes, there is. And in fact, um, I know a lot of home birth midwives and uh, 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 midwives who practice in birth centers will have a placenta conversation with their clients, you know, before the uh, during their prenatal care. That's not something that um, you see a lot in uh, the standard, you know, OB practice, but it's, uh, yes, once um, once I discuss it with them, yeah, they, it, some people think, well, that's kind of weird, but okay, uh, and others are a little more curious. Um, I have, I just got together an infographic I'm going to put on the website that people can download and laminate about the different placenta options if you want to, if anybody, and it's going to be free, if any professionals want to download that and use that for their placenta conversations. Um, I always make a point of showing a woman her placenta after her and her baby's placenta after the birth. Uh, and most ladies are very curious and very um, in awe of it. And I tell them how wonderful it is and how, you know, this, this, is, this, is, what, this, is, what, you, this is what your baby's house before, before he was born. 
and this is what the placenta does. And they're very, um, very curious and very, uh, uh, they're glad I showed it to them. Uh, I, <clears throat> I work with a large Native American population, and a lot of them will take the placenta home with them. They won't tell me what they do with it, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've seen a lot of them will wash it there in the sink. Uh, I attend birth at the hospital here in Flagstaff. I've seen them wash it in the sink, um, and they want to know what they do with it. Um, the research I did into cultural practices says that they bury it, and they'll say, yeah, we do something like that. But um, I guess it's their business. It's their it's their practice. Uh, and I also have, uh, it was too lengthy to include in the book, but I, if anyone wants to download and look at their cultural practices regarding the placenta. That's on the uh, repurposeyourplacenta.com website also. Very cool. Well, I will definitely be looking into your, your what did you call it, your laminated sheet? What was well, the yeah, you can, yes, you can download it and laminate. It won't come out laminated naturally, but. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> you can download and laminate it, yeah. And what was the title of that? Um, I'm, I, I haven't made it. The link oh. is going to be on the website under okay. um, one of the tabs, other birthy stuff, and I'm going to the link is going to uh, identify it as a uh, resource for professionals and a free resource for professionals. Cool. Yeah. That would be awesome. Well, let's get that up in the next couple of days. Yeah. Great. So for women out there who are listening and maybe are new to these ideas, because I'm sure there are some. Um, what is the main thing you want to leave them with to think about as they as they sort of process this uh, later later in the day? Well, the main point I wanted to get across is that the placenta's value doesn't end with the baby's birth. The placenta is still working and very much alive at the time the baby's born and for some time after. And even though we've in the Western world come into the habit of just you know, clap, cut, and toss it, we're done with it. Um, it its value isn't finished. It's still working for uh, mom and baby and, and by extension, dad. Um, and I don't want, uh, even if you choose to discard it, even if uh, you don't feel you have a need for it after the birth, that's perfectly fine. I just want them to know that uh, it's, it's, um, its value isn't diminished or it isn't, um, it, it, it value isn't diminished by the fact that it's a, uh, a temporary organ. Right. Yeah. And that it's, it's uh, I think the fact that it's temporary makes it even more precious. We only get one with every baby, and it's only going to be with us a short time, and what are we going to, how are we going to acknowledge this? How are we going to uh, make the best use of this? Yes, and it's an amazing Amazing organ. Yes. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us here today. And I'm really excited we got a chance to do this and um, that people are going to have this information. And um, maybe we'll have you back on in the future to, to talk about some other fun topics. Um, I'm just so grateful to have met you and for you to have been open and willing to, to share with us. Well, thank you very much, and I'm really glad that you had me on your podcast. I love, I love what you and Marin are doing, and I am so grateful to have met you and to become a part of your Wise Woman Circle. Thank you so much. So to everyone out there listening, um, we'll, we'll put some links up 
for you to check out. Sounds like Ruth's website has lots of awesome links as well and more resources to check out. And I hope you take advantage of that. And hopefully we'll uh, see you or you'll hear us next time um, when we have our uh, next episode come out. So hope you all are doing well. Happy pregnancy. Or-